You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Brilliant. Welcome to our second of four services today in our central location and now that Wales are out of the rugby union I will be supporting England and uh, my mum uh, was talking to her this morning she was very upset that Wales lost and uh, actually I'm very upset that New Zealand beat Ireland uh, does anybody care anybody does anybody not care well father I pray you convict them of their wrongdoing and their sin in Jesus name make them feel bad for not liking rugby Uh, God's good. God's up to good things. And uh, I'm glad we prayed for Israel today. We continue to pray also for the situation in the Ukraine. We know that war is a dreadful thing. It's uh, never a good thing. And so we're praying that the Prince of Peace does what he does best and bring peace into that situation. He's done it before and he can do it again. And so let's just keep our eye on what is taking place. The Bible's really clear that actually what takes place in Israel is a, almost like a countdown. You, can, you know when the end of the world is coming by what is actually taking place in Israel. The Bible says that. And that's why the Bible teaches us that we should pray for Jerusalem and we should pray for peace in Jerusalem. And so we continue to do that. We continue to pray for the war on our doorstep as well in the Ukraine. And for people who are living lives of, of turmoil, even in our great city, because we know that war doesn't just take place in foreign lands. It also takes place in families, in our cities and locations as well. So if there's any unrest in your life, we're praying for you that you have a great sense of peace in your world in the Name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah chapter 54. I'm gonna read to you from the Message Translation. I don't usually go there, but I really love how it's worded today. I love this translation, this paraphrase of Isaiah 54. Just over the last sort of 10 days, I've been on some travels. Last week I was in, uh, uh, where was I? Helsinki in Finland with the Pentecostal World Council, which oversees around 600,000 churches around the world. And just sitting with around eight of the Pentecostal World Council, I've been on that team for around six months or so. And to hear the reports of what's happening in the Pentecostal world is quite phenomenal, actually. And to hear the support that's on the ground, both in the Ukraine and also out in the Middle East, Middle East right now is amazing. This week I was in Madrid with the World Assemblies of God Congress and had the honour of preaching there last night to uh, the pastors from World Assemblies of God. We're an Assemblies of God church of which there are 385,000 of them in the world. The trajectory that we're on as a church movement is to grow from 385,000 and we estimate that by uh, 2033, 10 years from now, we will be a million strong, a million churches. Every, it's good, isn't it? Every 150 seconds, every 150 seconds, a new Assemblies of God church is being planted. And uh, what is taking place is just simply phenomenal. We're a part of that. When people say to me, you know, it must be tough living in England where the church is in decline. I say, which church? I don't know what you're talking about, but Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and He hasn't changed His mind. Now, sometimes it looks a bit different, you know what I mean? But the reality is this, the church is continuing to be built. And God's not talking about buildings when He says that. He's talking about your life. I just love the fact that God is committed to building your life, building your family. 
And so that's why it's so important to have Him in the midst of everything that's going on. All right, Isaiah chapter 54, verses two to three says this, "'Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out, think big. Think big, use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep because there's gonna be storms, but you'll be able to get through them. You're gonna need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're gonna take over whole nations. You're gonna resettle abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. You're not gonna be embarrassed. Do not hold back. You're not going to come up short. I really love that. I love that because Jesus, because God here in the book of Isaiah is speaking to His people. His people who are not living in their territory, they are living in exile. They've been taken away into exile. They're living as captives. They're learning foreign language, languages, foreign customs. They're living in captivity. And yet God says to them, think big. Don't think small. Don't allow the context and the confines of your world to cause you to have diminished thinking. Don't think like slaves. Don't think like people who were taken in captivity. Don't think like a, a, a Manc or a, a Genevan or a Swiss. Don't think like your locality. God is saying, I want you to think different. I want you to think big because God says of what I am about to do. You ever had a season in your life where you literally found yourself thinking small and you almost needed a, a pastor at church or a friend or, or your spouse to say, what on earth are you doing thinking like that? I think that just part of nature maybe is that we just end up beginning to think small. Our, our circumstances confine us and define us. And before long, we start to think small. When Sophie and I left Australia to move to England in 1996, we lived for two years with people in the back bedrooms of their houses, etc. And then we saved up all our money. And our, our annual salary, Sophie and I, was eight grand a year. And we saved up as much as we could out of that eight grand and ended up buying a house in Handsworth in Sheffield. And this house was a fixer-upper. You know what I mean by fixer-upper? You know, newly married people, you, you've done the same. You buy a house that, that if you squint, it's mint. But if you open your eyes, you look at the disaster. I think that when we went to actually see the house, it was filled with straw. We didn't know whether it was because they were keeping horses or hamsters or what was going on. But this house was a disaster, but it was our disaster. It was ours. It was something that God put in our hands. And it took us seven years to renovate the house. When I say us, I mean me. I repainted the hallway in this house four times. My wife would bring home the paint, says, this is the colour I want it. And then she would go out and I'd say, no problem. And I'd paint the hallway all the way up the stairs, get the ladders balancing on things. And then she would come in and go, not the colour I hoped. Paint it white again and then paint it. That was back in those days when I had a little bit more patience and maybe more time than I do right now. But, but you know, seven years I did the plastering. 
I tried, you know, the electric stuff until I got a zap in my finger, got the electrician in, got somebody else to do the plumbing. Seven years. And the week that we finished this house in Hansworth, some of you remember, some of you have been, Linda. Uh, the week we finished, I sat down and I was like, oh. And my favourite part was the hearth. I'd made this hearth in front of the fireplace with a living flame fire. And just I used to love sitting there in front of that fire. And then my wife, the week we finished, says, I think it's time to move. I said, babe, it's taken seven years. She says, yes, seven years to get ready to move forward. And then she said this, and I think the type of house we need to buy next is this. It needs to be this size. It needs to have this many bedrooms. And I said to her, I said, yeah, but honey, I've seen the budget. And what you're saying is not just half a step forward, it's a leap forward. It's impossible. She says, I don't care what you think is impossible. She says, I think God has spoken to me. And I said, you may think you're God, but I've got the budget. And honestly, for days and days, we, 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 we kind of argued, well, well uh, we argued to the point where I said, okay. And we put the house on the market. We put the house on the market and, and what God did next was absolutely brilliant. Now, I'm telling you a story of a house because it's an easy illustration. And I don't want you to hook big thinking into money or houses necessarily, but I want you to see that what had taken place in my life over seven years was that I began to be confined and defined by a house and by a budget. And yet the challenge from God for us in that season was simply what God is saying here in Isaiah 54, think big. I think what happens is this, is that culture dresses up small thinking and negativity in a great set of clothes called realism. Be realistic. You ever had that? Where maybe you've shared a dream with someone, you've, you, you, you've, you've whispered something, oh, I'd like to do this, I'd like to study that, I'd like to marry that person. And the person next to you says, be realistic. Do you know when we started church 16 years ago, we came with a dream with a group of friends. The dream was great, it was grand, it was this before it was even this. We saw it and we told some people and so many people said, just be realistic. Churches don't really grow in, in Manchester is what some people said. Others said, well, who do you guys think you are in order to be able to do that? And if we're not careful, the danger is that realism and small thinking can hold us back from what God wants to do. Think big, think big. And so we're in this series right now called Own It as we move up to our Vision Sunday at the end of this month, October the 29th. It's gonna be an amazing Sunday. We're gonna have our church birthday. We're 16 years of age. We're gonna have our light parties that weekend. And we're also gonna take up our vision offering that weekend as well. It's gonna be brilliant. So in this Own It series, today's message is simply called Own Your Thinking. Own Your Thinking. Because if you don't own it and define it and shape it, then somebody else will own it, define it and shape it. And you will live a frustrated life because you didn't own your thinking. You allowed disappointment. 
You allowed a friend or worse still, you allowed an enemy to own your thinking. Sometimes we allow thoughts that should not be in our brain to trample all over our thinking. So today is about owning our thinking. Lord, help me, I pray, in these moments to, to, to articulate this message in a way that You would cause us all in this room and in Geneva, that You would cause us to think the way You would have us to think. Thank You for all You're doing in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. The first point to owning your own thinking is this, is I wanna encourage your church to dream again. Dream again. We read this in Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to this, hey, listen, I had a dream, everyone. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field and when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while yours gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Verse 19, later on, the brother says, here comes that dreamer, Joseph, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. Joseph had a dream. His brothers mocked him for having the dream. And they actually didn't just taunt Joseph, but they taunted God. We're gonna take things into our own hands. Then we'll see what happens to your dream, Joseph. But if we had the time, which we don't today, and you read the following chapters, you'll read that the very dream that he had actually came to pass. And for Joseph, there were many times on the journey where he had to own his own thinking. Remember this, he went from having a great dream, making the mistake of telling it to the wrong people, the wrong people then became narrators of his dream to tell him what his dream really looks like. And then he went from having this grand dream to the next moment being beaten up by those who should have loved him the most. Then he's thrown into a well. Then he's sold into slavery. Then he rises to become a leader in somebody's house. Then he's inappropriately accused of having an affair with the wife of the master, then he's thrown into a jail and forgotten. And in the midst of being forgotten, literally there came a moment where he went from the prison to the palace and he became the Deputy Prime Minister of Egypt. I'm here to let you know, friends, that we should never ever allow our context, allow our circumstances to become a new narrator of the dream. So what, you've had disappointment. We all have, Joseph did. So what? We've all set off on the, uh, the endeavour of a dream only for challenging things to arise. And this is why I believe that God is saying again to us as a church, dream again. Don't stop your dreaming. Don't stop dreaming. Ephesians 3.20, now to Him God, who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think or imagine, dream. I wonder at what point on the journey of life did we actually stop dreaming? Do you remember being a child? I remember being a child and every game started with let's pretend. You know, and, and we would make up games and even children today when they don't have digital devices in front of them, 
that kids come together and, and they imagine and they play. Sometimes Hope, Darren and Catherine's daughter comes to church. She, Who are you today, Hope? I'm a princess today. Of course she's a princess today. She's, she's, she's you know, and, and, but some point along the line, we were taught not to dream. And maybe it was reinforced in school when teachers would say to us, hey, stop daydreaming. And at some point, friends, we actually go from our childhood into our teenage years into our adult years and somewhere along the line, maybe we've allowed circumstances to become narrators of our dream to now we're leading and living frustrated lives because we forgot the art of dreaming. My prayer is this, is that in this season of your life, if you've lost a dream or if you need to dream again, my prayer is that you will dream tonight when you go to bed, that you would wake up tomorrow morning and say, I think God spoke to me in a dream. The Bible says He will. The Bible says in Psalm 121, He neither sleeps nor slumbers. So while you sleep, God can speak to you in dreams. I'm not just interested in night dreaming though, I'm interested in daydreaming. T.E. Lawrence said this, all people dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind awake to the day to discover it's all vanity. But dreamers of the day are dangerous for they dream with eyes wide open to make them a reality. Oh, my prayer is that over our church, over you, people would say, here come those dreamers. Here come those dreamers. Everything we've ever done as a church started with a dream. The dream of pioneering Audacious Church began in 1994 in a small lecture room in my Bible college outside Sydney where God spoke to me and gave me a dream, a growing dream for the city of my birth. Everything we've ever done started with a dream. Whether it be our work with A-teams, whether it be all our work in Audacious Foundation, the buildings that we've been purchasing, the buildings that we're looking at in Chester to buy and the ones in South and North Manchester that we're going to see this week. Everything starts with a dream. The danger is when we stop dreaming. Maybe friends, it's time to dream again. Acts chapter two says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. You see, the reason God pours out His Spirit is so we can step into the future. And what happens is this, friends, is that visions and dreams don't illustrate what is, they illustrate what can be. So maybe it's time to dream again. Maybe it's time this morning in a moment when we open the front and we're gonna pray and I'm gonna invite you to come to the front for prayer about dreaming. Maybe it's time to shake off the shackles of the constraints of the past seasons of your life. I grew up in Queensland, Australia. In Queensland, we have a sky with no clouds and the sky is big. We have big houses and big cars, not because it's rich, we're rich in Australia, but simply because everything's just big. There's lots of land. And then when I was 15 and I moved to Manchester and we lived with seven people in a terraced house in a cobble street in East Manchester and, and the street was so narrow, you couldn't get cars up and down it. And half the time we had to walk because you couldn't get the car out anyway, uh, if we had a car. And I found that over the next coming months, my thinking was shaped by my environment. 
I was used to a big sky. How many of you grew up in Africa? You're used to a big sky, big dreaming, big space. But now we live in Manchester where you notice the clouds are low. You almost come outside the house sometimes, you have to duck. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the message translation says this, we live under open skies. Oh, please don't allow your circumstances, your challenge right now to confine you and define you. I believe God's saying it's time to think big. It's time to dream again. And we're gonna pray for that in a second. The second thing I want you to lay a hold of is this, is, is in, in owning your thinking is find a way. Dream again, yes, but find a way. Because if it matters to you, you'll find a way. If it doesn't matter to you, you'll find an excuse. If it matters, you'll find a way. What sort of excuses do we come up with? Not you because you're perfect, but definitely the next service, some of their excuses for not stepping into big dreams. I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have enough money, I've got more than enough money. You don't know what it's taken me to get this, it's gonna cost too much. I'm disappointed, so many excuses. But if it matters, you'll find a way. Think about in the Bible, Moses. And I want you to lay a hold of Moses for a second because God comes to Moses in Exodus chapter three. He says, hey, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and you will rescue three million people. I'm with you, God says to Moses. And Moses says, who am I? Get that? God speaks destiny, Moses answers with identity. And I want you to know friends, that if, if the devil, if the devil in hell, if he can get you to think wrongly about who you are, then he can potentially upset your destiny. That's why there is such a crisis of identity in society today, because it's not really about gender, it's actually about destiny. If I don't think about myself the way God thinks about me, then how am I ever gonna be able to do that which God has for me? That's why I am really opposed to many of the ideological stances on identity today, especially the one that speaks about the victim and the victor. And how so many Christian people fall into the trap just naturally of thinking victim, victor, when the Bible actually says something different. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. You are not the victim of your circumstances, friends. We cannot believe that. We cannot allow that narrative to hold us because that's not who you are. You're a conqueror. You're a son of the Most High God. You're a daughter of the Most High God. You are one who God loved so, so much. We gotta shake off the narrative of society that comes dressed up in realism and in some form of academia that would say one thing when God is scratching His head and going, ah, that's not my church. That, that's not you, that's not me. Moses had to overcome his identity challenge in order to embrace his destiny. Friend, don't allow what you think of yourself to undo what God thinks about you. Don't allow what you think you can't do undermine what God says you can do in Jesus' Name. It's simply an excuse. 
How about Joshua? Joshua had to overcome an excuse. His excuse was this. He was following the great leader, Moses. Moses, charismatic. Moses, who'd been up there on the mountain, who'd encountered God. Moses, who had the the 10 commandments, you know, the the two tablets uh, uh, with the 10 commandments. Moses, and now Joshua is following Moses. And the Bible teaches us that Joshua is in a place of sorrow, intimidation, fear. What am I gonna do next? Will the people follow me when they've had Moses? And God actually comes down to Joshua and says, Joshua, let me state the obvious. Moses is dead. Get up. Let me just say this to you, friends. Some of the things that are holding you back and holding me back, they're actually dead. They have no space in our life. Last night in Madrid, speaking to the Assemblies of God World Congress, I was reminding them of the story of Simon the leper and I challenged everybody that Simon the leper in the Gospel of Mark, he wasn't actually a leper because of the whole context of the story. The whole context of the story tells us that Simon could not have leprosy and yet he was still called Simon the leper. Isn't it interesting how there are some people in your life that will always try to remind you of the person you were? And when you are trying to step into a new day, a new way of thinking and a new way of living and leading, you you, you see them coming back. And there are some people in your life, there are definitely in mine, who keep trying to hang on to my coattails and pull me back. No, Moses is dead. Simon, your leprosy is over, doesn't exist. And friends, some of the things holding us back, they're dead. I want you to think about David for a moment. David. David in fighting Goliath, he had to overcome the fact that the king, Saul, said, you're too young and too inexperienced. But what I love about God is that God is not ageist. He's not just interested in the old, the middle and the young, He's interested in all of us. So Psalm 92 says, in our old age, we'll bear fruit. And now we've got a teenage boy fighting against Goliath. Eliab, David's brother, rebuked him and said, what are you doing here? The army were in great fear but David found a way. He dreamt that he could kill the giant. He dreamt that he could do it. And he went down to a stream and he took five stones and put it in his little sling and said, he can come with me with a sword and spear, but I come at you with something greater than that. I come to you in the name of the God of heaven and earth. And friends, I want you to realise that in your life where there are things that are trying to keep you small, you have the Name of God. It's time to declare the Name of God over circumstance and situation. In fact, we're gonna sing We Speak Jesus in a minute, okay? We're gonna begin to speak Jesus over things in Jesus' Name. Find a way, find a way. Come on, fellas, you've done that in your life. You saw that girl, she was not interested in you. You knew you were batting way out of your league. I mean, I mean, it just was never gonna happen. There was no way she was gonna date you, let alone marry you, Darren Durham. <laughs> but without being a stalker, he found a way. Find a way. I gotta tell you, in the last two years of Sophie's in my life personally, we had a, like a major challenge. We felt God had spoken about something 
but we had a major challenge. And on paper, it simply did not work. But in the midst of dreaming again and faith rising, because that's what happens. Dreaming, a God dream, faith. It's still impossible until it's done. But God dreams are always impossible. God dreams always involve feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. It's impossible until it's done. God dreams always look like a boat to be built in order to save humankind from a storm. Noah had never built a boat before, didn't even know what rain was. It was impossible until it was done. I'm here to tell you that two years ago, like in the last two years, this particular situation, dreaming again, faith rose and somehow, with dogged persistence. Some would call it audacious faith. We just found a way. We got to the other side of the miracle and we we're having coffee one morning and we were like, we, we genuinely looked at each other. We, we laughed, we were laughing. Like, how did that even happen? Because even now when we reflect on it, it's still impossible. But when you dream again, you own your thinking, you'll find a way. If you don't own it, you'll find an excuse. And here's where we're gonna land. And I love this, it's this whole idea, thirdly, in owning our thinking, that we've gotta attempt the impossible. And I've already alluded to that, haven't I? Attempt the impossible. William Carey said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. I guess one of my, one of my fears about heaven, it's, it's probably the fear's the wrong word, is when I get to heaven and I see God in all of His brilliance, probably at that point, I'll be reminded about what I could have done if I had the faith, the simple childlike trust to believe the God of the impossible. Dreaming takes small steps. That's all it does. You don't even need to take a big, just a small step to do the impossible. Faith like a child. And I've told you this story once or twice before, but when we were living in Sheffield and we were serving in our last church, Georgia was little, she was about four. Jaden was one, two, something like that. And I would come home from work and we, the, the living area was at the top, was on the, uh, uh, top floor there and we were, we were the front entrance was downstairs. So you'd come in and go up the stairs. And so I'd come in through the front door. I'd take off my jacket, take off my shoes, put down my bag and I'd say, where? And my kids, Georgia and Jaden, four and one or whatever it was, five and two, they would run to the top of the stairs and go, Daddy! And they were so excited that Daddy was home that they would jump. Now, the thing is this, is on a good day with the wind behind them and all the planets aligned, on a good day, they could jump three steps. But there was 14. Daddy's job was to run 11 while taking off the shoes and dropping the coat and putting down the bag. Never once did they think about the body mass weight ratio index. So, you know, can Dad move? How fast is he? You know, how long will it take him to get 11 steps? No, 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 they saw Dad. They heard Dad say, where are you? Daddy. I think that's what a God dream's like. 
It's hearing your Father in heaven reshape you and redefine you, not according to what society says, but according to what He says. And then there comes a moment where you hear Him speak. And you're like, God, it's 14 steps. I can't go 14 steps. And God says, that's okay. You don't need to. If you do what you can do, then I'll do what only I can do. I caught my children every time they jumped, apart from once. Explains a few things. And I've found over all the years that I've served the Lord and I've stepped into God dreams. There have been times when I've jumped into a dream and I've, and, and, and I, and I've, I've taken the next step and, and, and it hasn't looked like I thought it's looked, but now as I look back, He has never let me down. He's always there. He's in this room. He's with you right now. So come on, can we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 